I believe that there are some people that have the entrepreneurial gene. There is something in them that is committed to their desires, willing to take risks, has some level of faith and trust in themselves, like some level of, I know that I'm resilient even if I make a mistake. You either got it or you don't got it. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I am the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman. And today I have a bit of a turn the tables kind of episode for you. So backstory. One of my clients, I'm also a client of hers. We were having a conversation. We were catching up. And she's like, I got this crazy idea that came to me. And I was like, oh, do tell me. She's like, I want to interview you for your podcast. I was like, oh, I love it. It was like this instantaneous yes for me. And I'm very much about like following those instantaneous yeses. So today it is my great pleasure to bring onto the show. She's been a guest on the show in the past. Please go back and listen to that episode because she had a lot of brilliant uh, nuggets of her own to share as well. But dun, dun, dun. The guest today, no, I'm the guest today. The host today is Lee Hayward, who is a good friend, client, and I'm a client of hers. She is my stylist. So if you ever like, oh my God, Amira looks fabulous. It's all Lee and she gets all the credit and run, don't walk. She's amazing. So Lee, that's my underhanded pitch to you. You are now the host of this podcast. Ooh, I'm so honored. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying yes to crazy ideas. I do kind of think that, as you have taught us, that the universe gives us crazy ideas because they're usually the most fun. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so I'll give a little bit of backstory about how this started. Amir and I were having a conversation just about kind of just entrepreneurs in general and people in general that... I don't think we use the word role model, but that are just like inspiring humans and can really inspire us as entrepreneurs to be our best selves and see what's possible. And we were really talking about how the fact that Amira truly is one of those people. And even though I do know a lot about Amira, lots of all kinds of fun things being the sty- from the stylist side of things. There are things that I don't know that I kind of want to know, and I hope that other people will enjoy. So if you're still game, we'll go all in. Yeah, I'm totally game. And I told Lee when we were, when she queued this up for me, I was like, yeah, totally. Ask me anything. I'll tell you if there's like something that's off limits, but pretty much I'm I'm like completely transparent, open book. And I think it's really important. And Lee does get to see a lot. She's like in my closet all the time. So, (laughs) but this is a different side. So let's do this. All right. So one of the things that I personally find, this first question is very selfish for my own interests, but the thing I find most interesting is why people started the business that they did. So why did you start this? How did it come about? So this was a following the breadcrumbs kind of experience. So I I now, 2020 hindsight, look back and recognize there's this concept that I teach, which is called 
following the breadcrumbs of desire, like just following your calling, your yearning, your wants, your desires. And they lead you in a particular path. And if you if you own them, if you don't like call yourself crazy for having that wild ass idea and you just follow it, it will lead you where you're meant to go. And so if you flash back to 2012, I had a corporate life. I ran the operations, the real estate side of a software company that was growing like leaps and bounds, opening offices all over the world, things like that. And then there was the dot bomb and everything kind of crashed and burned. And they were doing rounds of layoffs and they laid off the CEO like round four. And I was like, I'm like, I'll raise my hand for the next one. Sign me up. Like I was like reading the writing on the wall. So I got a great severance package and it was like six months. I was like, oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Like I have the time and the space to look at this. And meanwhile, I had serious carpal tunnel, numb fingertips and from like the stress that I was under and how I was sitting working at the computer. So first thing I did when I stopped that job was go figure out how to handle that. I learned something called the Alexander Technique. And we don't have to go into what that was, but it was very helpful for my neck and my back pain and the, the carpal tunnel. But the woman who was my teacher had this like beautiful house with like this gorgeous garden and the studio and the backyard with roses like climbing all over the entryway. And it was just like, I want that life. That life looks really freaking awesome. Like who is who is this and how do I get that? So I ended up training to do that for three years. And I thought, okay, now that I've certified, I'll hang up my shingle and the clients will come. Turns out that's not the case. <laughs> and I had to learn how to run a business. And it's a totally different business than what I run these days and at a totally different scale. But I ended up in a, a very short amount of time being one of the most, you know, I had a very successful business in, in the Bay Area. And and for the amount of time I had done this, I had already built a business that people who had been doing it for 20 or 30 years had bought, uh, you know, built. And I did that by investing in coaching programs. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll learn that and I'll learn this and I'll do this. And I just ate it up. It was a whole world that I didn't know about. And plus, add to that, Lee, totally into personal development, like personal development junkie. I read all the books, all of that stuff. So when I was working with my clients, they're called students in that technique. I asked them if they would be interested in what I called Alexander Plus, like doing this thing that wasn't strictly the technique, but stuff that I was interested in. And a handful of them said yes, and they loved it. And so I kind of got a little bit of experience with what I wasn't calling coaching at the time, I was calling something else. And then my husband at the time and I decided to leave the Bay Area and we sold our house, we drove across the country and a handful of those clients said, can I keep working with you remotely? And I was like, oh, sure, sure. let me figure this out. No, yeah, exactly. It was like, okay. And then when we landed, when we found our new home, I had a choice in front of me. Do I start the the uh, practice that I had before or do I start something new? And I did my own work on that and train, triangulated all the, the stuff. And I ended up launching this business, which looked 
different then, but was the the building blocks of this business. And all my first clients, not all of them, but all but one of them were women that were in those coaching programs that I had joined when I was growing the other business oh, and had kept in touch with me and had seen me grow on social media and were fascinated by what I was doing. And I you know, launched and they saw that and they wanted some of it and they signed up. And so by happenstance, all my first clients were women in business. And I was like, oh, I love working with this. So that's that's the, the okay. summation. What was it about you in those coaching programs? Yeah. What was it about those coaching programs? But I would imagine it's the thing about you that so, made that acceleration happen so quickly. It's perfect timing on that question, Lee. I was just talking to a private client this morning about this. And I was like, I had been trying to triangulate for myself. Why are some people, this was years ago, why are some people more, you know, it's the same material, it's the same me as a coach. Why are some people super successful? Like they knock it out of the freaking park and some people stay stuck. I think it's fundamentally, I, I hate to say this, okay, but you either got it or you don't got it. And I might evolve into a different perspective, but I believe that there are, are some people that have the entrepreneurial gene. There's something in them. They don't have to have had it expressed yet, but there's something in them that is committed to their desires, willing to take risks, has some level of faith and trust in themselves, like some level of like, I know that I'm resilient even if I make a mistake. Now, I learned all of that in a lot more uh, level of confidence along the way, but I think the seeds of that were were present. And I always had that, even when I was working in corporate, I always had that sort of ownership perspective. If a project came to me, I was going to think creatively about how to do something and what needed to be done and problem solving and all of that. Now, some people do that really well within an organization, and that's called an entrepreneur. And some people like to do it outside of an organization. I think I could have made a great, you know, COO of a company. Like I would have been great. Like the the same capacity is is there, though. I think I'm much better suited as an entrepreneur, self managed. It's like that. Remember that movie Sliding Doors where Gwyneth Paltrow goes through, I don't know if you ever saw it, she goes through two scenarios of what her life would look like. And that's the whole movie. Like <laughs> you can make the entrepreneur a movie right. and see what happens. Actually, when, when I said that out loud to you, I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't do that. Like I had a visceral reaction to it. So I just want to claim that out loud. The other thing I want to say is I think there are people who haven't yet made it, right? They haven't broken through but they have all of those things that I've shared and they just need like that tweak to set them free. So, you know, you've either got it or you're not. It's not about like having all of those labels already on you, but it's about, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you have an intuition within and you have a desire to acquire that. I don't know what you would add to that, but I think that is important to distinguish. You know, here's the thing. People think hard work is the only tool in the toolkit. It's not, but you can't be afraid. You have to have some sort of work ethic and level of drive to 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 really go for it because otherwise you're going to spin completely. I think if people are really honest with themselves, and this is just my opinion, so we'll leave it at that, they will see iterations throughout their entrepreneur career, whether it's the first business, second business, whatever, 
where the why of what they are doing really evolves and changes. And I would be curious if there are like moments that really stand out to you where you were like, holy crap, I, t- I, I truly see the why behind I'm or why behind why I'm doing this. hundred percent. I don't know if I, I if there was like a moment in time specifically, but I'll tell you what those ahas were. Initially, I, I started growing this business and, you know, first year I made 30K. Second year I tripled. I made 90K. Third year I made 138K. I was feeling good across the six figure mark, but I was like tapped out on the energy. Like I was working crazy hours. It was um, nuts. And yet I really wanted what I wanted. And I was like, well, I'm I'm not seeing something. There's got to be something I'm missing because I can't just work more hours to 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 get a higher revenue. And so I went about studying success. I worked with mentor, all of all of that sort of stuff. And I went from 138 to 700K that year. But the big aha in that moment, that was the first aha, was I was listening to someone. This was my mentor. I was listening to someone. I hadn't yet worked with him. And he said, it's easier to make a lot of money than a little money. And I was like, well, that freaking blew my mind. And I was like, that's insane. What are you talking about? I think I have to work harder. Right. And then and I was like all in my story about it. I'm like, well, that must be cheating. And like you're taking advantage of people like I had all the beliefs. okay. And yet there was some truth to that. I'm like, yeah, I'd like Richard Branson is not doing what I'm doing. Oprah Winfrey is not doing what I'm doing. Right. Beyonce is not doing what I'm doing. Do they work? Yeah. But it's easier to make a lot of money than a little money. I'm like, okay, okay. Something, there's some truth there. And then he said, you can make your monthly, your annual income, your monthly income. Well, I freaking want that. You know, like (laughs) sign me up. And then I had the belief, and this goes back to like who that person is. I had the belief that was like, if they can do it, I can do it. You know, there's a lot of pithy sayings out there that people parrot about you have to really freaking believe it. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm game. Okay. I was like, well, if they can do it. I can do it. And um, so that was my first aha moment. I was like, I'm making a million dollars this year. Game on. It was, I, I'm not ashamed to say it was all about the freaking money. I was mm-hmm. like, it was about the goal. It was about the money. It was like just doing that. What I didn't know until 2020 hindsight was it was about who I needed to become. And I really wanted that. I was not freaking happy with who I was being in this world. If you had asked me that at the time, I could, I had no, I thought I was pretty good. I thought, you know, like I, my life wasn't falling apart. It was, it was, you know, I had some of my shit together. Right. But it with 2020 hindsight, I knew, oh my God, I did this. I cleaned this goal for to become more. And and just a little side note on the teaching, because I now know, I now teach a, according to this, that we have a more life directive. We're all born with a spiritual seed that is in us and we're, we're meant to grow that seed. And you have to keep following the desires and doing the things that allow you to follow the desire. Meaning in my case, I had to learn how to freaking make money like at a much larger level in order to be the person who lived out that more life directive. Did I know that at the time when I started? Absolutely not. Okay. But with 2020 hindsight, I can say, oh, the reason I was hooked by that goal 
was because I needed to achieve that to live out my directive. So that was moment one. Uh, moment two, I think, would be, this is a kind of a combination moment. When I let go of the weight, started dressing nicer, right? Like really claiming who I was as a woman. So let me say that slightly differently. I don't think the clothes make the woman. However, I also think that if you are not expressing yourself accurately through your clothes, you are not fully expressed, okay? And you're, it, by clothes, I mean hair, makeup, whatever your personal outer presentation. Packaging. Yeah, your outer packaging. If you're not in alignment with that woman in any way, there's something that's suppressed in you. And so that was a really important piece for me was letting go of that weight, like claiming more of my style, my full expression of who I was, and wait for it, wait for it, claiming my sexuality. Okay. Like, you know me now as some version, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but like I have some sexual energy running in my system. Like I'm not I'm not afraid to be a little sexy. You put me in lots of very sexy dresses, right? You're like, that's all you, right? And and you talk about like, you are the epitome of raw feminine power. I was like, oh, that's such a great reflection. Thank you. And so, so that combination was super important for me because then I claimed it on stage. I used to do these summits that were really powerful. And although... I don't want any woman to look at me and say, I want to be you because they need to be their version of themselves. I know that I was up on stage presenting and representing the possibility that you could be a fully expressed woman in business. You could make bank, you could have a hot relationship, you could look good. I know that part of my purpose in life is to call people forward into that. And I didn't know that when I claimed my million dollar goal, right? <laughs> I had no idea about that. But in the process of stepping forward into more, I realized that is part of what I'm I'm doing. And then I'm in the midst of another evolution of that now, which I don't know if it's landed yet, like it's in the expression, right? In the coming forth, which is around the feminine side of that, right? Like I think I had a little bit more of the masculine edge of being uh, a powerful woman. And now there's like a, a softer feminine side that is coming forward. That's uh, really about that integration of the masculine and the feminine in essences. I don't know where that's going, but there's some some like next evolution of this. That's a to be continued moment, but we're excited to watch. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask you about this. I think, you know, you really are talking about stepping into this identity and yes, you got new clothes. Yes. Maybe you did your nails, got your hair done, yada, yada, yada. And I think a lot of that goes into what people call like this sort of self-care thing. I say self-care thing because I think self-care is kind of become like this cliche. It almost is like a given to me. And so I want- Can to I also pause there? Like, yeah, I don't think of that as self-care at no. all. Okay? No. Like, Thank like you. this sounds a, a little bit elitist, but it's a freaking pain in the ass sometimes. Okay. Like it's not- it's not like care and self-care to me. <laughs> it's not, it's not. It takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. I have a good mindset around it, but it's not, it's not feeding your soul to get your nails done. Okay. And like the things that feed my soul are the things that give me meaning in my life. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I've taught this not recently, but many times in the past that the, the best self-care sometimes is action. Like action is a bomb. Like some, sometimes I'm like, just go freaking do the hard thing. You got to go do this and you got to do it right now and rip the bandaid off because once you're on the other side of this, you're going to be so freaking relieved. Like it is not loving to yourself. It's not caring of yourself to put yourself through the ringer by not doing doing what you know you need to do. So anyways, lots on that. No, I think that's exactly why I was asking that question, because I think sometimes self-care is used as a Band-Aid, actually. And it's it's those become the givens of just part of the things you do to you know, make yourself your best self, but it's not self-care. So what are the things that truly nourish your soul? Alone time, I have to say. I, I mean, I carve out a lot of alone time, like hours every day. I'm like fully on with team or podcasts or or clients between certain hours during the day. But then my mornings and my evenings are like, okay. So I'm a Have bit you of always known that about yourself. Like no. always needed alone time. Okay. No, in fact, I think I didn't understand my energy pattern. I mean, I think I always needed alone time. I don't think I always gave it to myself. And I don't think I recognized it as as an important part of my creative process and showing up in my genius and in my power and and all of that. So and and it's not the case for some people need less alone time and it's not a one size fits all thing, but it it is really super important to me and if I don't have it, I'm grumpy. And <laughs> like just plain and simple. Though there are times like if I'm putting on an event, there's no alone time. Well, that's not entirely true. I'll be up in the morning by myself or I, I wake up like hair and makeup comes super early and I allow myself two hours before that, even though that means I'm getting up at, you know, four in the morning because I do need some quiet time. And then I usually have a little bit of time in the evening to myself. The other big thing for self-care for me, two other things, good conversation. It's just um, nourishing. Like, I don't do chit chat very well. Like I don't do light. It's painful for me. You know, it it takes all my, like I, I put on, you know, that I do the spirit of wealth retreats. You dress me for those. And we do a cocktail party and dinner the first night. And I love it. Like I created this program. I created this cocktail party. Right. And, and I love dressing up and I love seeing the women come like in their power, feeling great, you know, nervous a little bit, but also feeling great. And I go around and I talk to everyone because I am the the hostess. That takes all my effort, okay? Like, because I don't do chit-chat. Like, if I could sit, stand and talk to one person at that cocktail party for an hour that on something deep, that would light me up. But so nourishing conversations are really important to me. And then meaningful work. Like, I actually, like, I'm not kidding when I say action is a bomb. Like it's caring for my soul to get the thing done. Like I love going deep in like moving a project along and getting it done. It feels amazing. And then the coaching that I do, you know, I just did a, I'm thinking just recently, like I had a call this morning and then I I uh, did a VIP session last week and I'm fully present. I'm all in. And it's nourishing for me 
to do that kind of work. I feel very fortunate that I've designed a life and a business that allows me to do meaningful work in this world. That is the best self-care right there. Also not being, not being freaking poor. Let's like, let's, let's <laughs> there break is it a down. Point the million dollar first goal. Here's the thing. I, I, I remember sitting in front of Amazon trying to figure out if I should buy the $14 thing or the $18 thing and like price comparison and making decisions because I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough money. And there's no like, value judgment of a person who doesn't have enough money to buy the things that she wants. I have zero judgment about that. Like, I don't judge me then. I don't judge anyone else. But it is uh, harder not to have money. Does money make you happy? No. Does money solve all your problems? No. Like, let's not even go to that sort of asinine thinking because it's not true. Okay. But it does lower a certain amount of stress a certain type of stress in your life. Now, when you run a bigger business, there are other kinds of stresses that have to do with money. You know, you're just playing at a bigger level. I want to go back to the nourishing conversations first. I have talked with women in particular. I, I genuinely don't know if men have this feeling or not because I've never asked and I'd be curious. But women in general, I feel like as high level entrepreneurs really have to search out nourishing conversations. It doesn't come from walking the dog and the neighbor you run into. It doesn't come from a lot of times the people that were nourishing conversations 10 years ago. So I want to know what is your take as a female entrepreneur and honestly like having friends and people who you can have these nourishing conversations with? Because I think in, in my experience, it's sometimes like more challenging as an entrepreneur to find that because you are really looking for something specific. 100 freaking percent. I mean, I found it with my entrepreneurial colleagues. Like I walk the talk, like I join masterminds and connected with people. And there is a different type of human being who's an entrepreneur. They're motivated by different things. They're driven by different things. They're, they, they, their brain thinks differently. And, you know, I have different friends in different worlds that I have participated in that are then the people that I, I have those conversations with. So I have one friend whose business kind of parallels mine. Like we we kind of took off and we we laugh about it. Like we'll we'll have a conversation and we're going through the same exact thing. We haven't talked for a month and then we'll be like, oh yeah, you're doing this too. Oh my God. Like like we're in the same cycle. So that's very nourishing to to me. We have very different businesses and we connect on that. And then I have, you know, friends who are entrepreneurs and and a lot of them are men. Okay. And that's been really interesting to me. I have different conversations with them. It's been great. I think men need those kind of entrepreneurial conversations a hundred percent. I think that the conversations that I have with my female entrepreneurs might be slightly, friends might be slightly different than the male entrepreneurs. But if we're talking business, it's not fundamentally different. But if we're talking life integration. If somebody was wondering, you know, they're going through their entrepreneurial journey and they've had, you know, massive success, but there's a piece missing, which really comes from filling that bucket of nourishing conversations and friendships. Like, where would you tell them to go look? What what is the action to do? Well, this is a little bit of an underhanded pitch because 
<laughs> I don't think you meant it that way, but I'm going to answer it that way. I mean, we have a, a program called the Spirit of Wealth Mastermind and Master Class. And the women who join this are super smart. They're game on, high performers, high achievers, and they're entrepreneurs. And they're desperate for the, the connection. They want all the coaching. They want all of that too. But they want to to be able to have conversations with other women. I was just talking to someone this morning right before this call, and I'm like, you know, these will be your running mates for not just the time in the program, but for the rest of your freaking life, because I attract a certain type of woman. She's a smarty pants. She's going for it. She's not like elitist, and you will connect with that. So anyways, if you guys are interested in that, please reach out to us. But fundamentally, you have to, the way I've created it is, is, I have bought into programs where I'm like, I want this and the people in that program will be the type of people I want to meet. And then you have to engage. And I've done that well and I've done that not well. There've been times where I've been, you know, telling myself a story of like, I'm too busy to do blah, 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 blah. And that's all nonsense. I was just intimidated by the people who were doing bigger things than I was doing. You know, I have a giver's game kind of mentality. So when you join a program, you you show up and you give and you you add, you contribute in your unique way. That's good juju across the board. And pay attention to the people who are further ahead of you. And don't be afraid to help them. Don't be afraid to contribute to them, but also pay attention to what they're doing. Like, and don't be so intimidated that you don't talk to them. I think it's so important to realize that like the definition of friendship, maybe as we knew it 10 years ago, whatever, it, it's it's tweaked as an entrepreneur and it can be so valuable, but you know, it sometimes doesn't look exactly like what you expect. Okay. So on this day, this particular day, if I were to ask you, do you feel successful? What would you say? Yes. Today, I feel very successful. If you'd oh, ask me, yeah. like, if you'd ask me, like, a different day, maybe. What I'm like, not asked you yesterday? Would you <laughs> Yesterday, I was in, in weekend mode, and I, I would have felt successful. But if you want me to tell you what my unsuccessful feelings look like, I'm happy to share that. I just think it's interesting as an entrepreneur, because sort of with the same concept as friendship, the definition of success is your own. And it doesn't look like anybody else's. A lot of entrepreneurs are always striving for something. So I'm just curious, like, I mean, you have a resounding yes. Why? I feel really good right now. So success, this is interesting. I've never articulated this, okay? Earl Nightingale says, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, okay? And so that's always running through my head. But like my answer today to you is because I feel good. Like, I feel good in my body. I'm happy. I'm having a meaningful conversation, <laughs> right? I had a meaningful conversation right before this. And I had alone time this morning. And I connected with some friends remotely, right? Like, on WhatsApp and WhatsApp. And, and like, so there's been alone time. There's been meditation. There's been connection. I like what I'm wearing. And right, like all of the things, like I feel like I'm checking the boxes on all the things. A base level there is that my business is doing well. When my business is not doing well, because you know, there's ebbs and flows, there's little hiccups. That'll, I mean, I don't, I don't get thrown off like when I first started my business. It would be like an emotional roller coaster. But like, if something doesn't 
flow well with the team or we don't hit our marks on something. Like I have a standard of excellence that when when we're not there, I get frustrated. Okay. I have to I have to use all my tools not to be that woman who loses her shit. But you know, I had a coaching call this morning with a client who's on freaking fire. She's just like keeps making sale after sale after sale. And we're like, I'm like, I called her to the next level this morning. And I love that. That that's meaningful to me. I'm doing good work in this world. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just such a good reminder that success looks so different. I mean, all the words you just said are just all amazing adjectives that are yours, which which is very cool. Okay, so you mentioned your team, and I'd like to go there for a second because your business is set up in a very interesting way, which is, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, truly designed for what you want. And I think for a lot of us, it's hard to remember like, oh, right, I can do that all the time. I can do that with every single aspect. Number one, what was the, who was the first person you hired? Like what position was it? And why, why were you like, this is the first person? Okay, so I knew I needed to hire a virtual assistant because that's what all my coaches were telling me and all the coaching programs for, for newbies that I was in. I was at the time married to an engineer. And so I was like, how would you go about doing this? And so we came up with like the list of all the different things that I needed handled in, in the business, which is perfectly legit, whether you're an engineer or not, place to start. <laughs> But like all the tech, all the stuff. And then I, you know, I put the word out and I interviewed a bunch of people and it was between these two women. And one I had like all this heart for and I was like, she's great. She's a little newer. She's less expensive. And she didn't have, she didn't mark all the, check all the boxes on the tech. But like, I just felt her. Like I knew she would go to bat for me. Mm-hmm. And then this other woman was more expensive, but she had all the tech. And I thought, okay, well, that'll save me money overall because she knows all this stuff. And when I spoke to my husband, because I was at the time, like not trusting my own knowledge and self, I would run everything past him. I love him, but I don't know why he had never run a business. Okay. He was like with engineer mode, oh, go with the one that has all the tech stuff. I didn't listen to my gut or trust my intuition. That was such a big mistake because she was terrible. Like she was terrible Lesson to work number with. one. Yeah. That was one of my first lessons about like you do have to do the due diligence, but you also have to trust yourself. There's there are non-tangibles out there. So that was my first my first hire. I think that's such a great story. And it's funny because I was just having this conversation with somebody who is essentially hiring a COL and they just don't need anyone that checks the normal boxes. Like normal boxes are not going to work for this individual. And I happen to know this client so well that, you know, I could be like, no, listening to your gut and like realizing what the boxes that you truly need to nourish and grow, they often look completely different than what you think you should have. I I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So what does the team look like now? How many people are there? How many people are on our team? We have two VAs in the Philippines. We have a project manager, executive assistant, tech person, social media. Six primarily on the team. It was eight for a while. And then there are a number of different contractors that I think of as kind of on my team, but not the, they're not on the inner circle, right? Like they do great work for us, but they're not in our team meetings, for instance. And then, I mean, just because I have worked with this individual, you have amazing support 
at home as well. What do you think is the most challenging part of leading a vision of growth and leading a team to get on the same train as your vision? I'd like to start with mistakes. One of the things that I did when, is I hired an amazing woman who for, for this director of op- operations role. And she's smart, great, on it, all of that. And I handed management of team over to her. And previous to that, I had someone else on my leadership team sort of managing team because it's like the story running in my head was, and there's a theme here, Lee, I don't have time for this kind of thing. And then someone on my team, Tiffany, who I love dearly, said to me, you're a leader of leaders. You don't you don't manage people well. And I was like, oh, okay. I just took, I just accepted that because I actually don't like micromanaging anyone. Like this is not a love that I have. I want excellent work, but I don't, I don't have any desire to like watch over people. So flashed to the last few months where I've taken over running the team again, because director of ops is is no longer here. Turns out I love leading leaders and I treat my team regardless of what position they hold as a leader. And that has been a freaking breakthrough. They love it. And who wouldn't, really? Why would you not want to be treated like a responsible human with a brain and a heart and initiative? I get that there are businesses out there where there are people who are cogs in the wheel. You know, I had a had someone who used to work at FedEx being like, oh, my God, this is so much better because she was like she was a cog in a wheel. But right. that's not the kind of business I run. And I don't want cogs and wheels. I want people who can think and who who own it. So we've done a lot of things in a very short period of time with the team in terms of transparency on how we run the business. I've been taking them through sort of business 101. Here's how a business runs. Here's here's what's important. Here's why we we pay attention to these things and these things. These are our numbers. A lot of people don't share numbers with their team. I'm like, here are the numbers. What you do matters. It's right. going to affect this. And then we've given everyone on the team their one number, which is the number that they are responsible for meeting that moves the needle in the business. So number of calls set, that would be a marketing number, right? Things like that. But everyone in the business, you know, my executive assistant is zero for zero inbox, like inbox zero, like every day gets to to zero. That's how she knows if she's winning or not. Okay. Like one of my favorite books of all time is uh, Culture Code. And, you know, there's questions that they ask in that book. And one of the main ones that they talk about makes such a difference with a team is do I see a future here? And mm-hmm. so much of what you're talking about gives people a reason and a source of belonging, which which is huge. I don't want to forget about design, our design concept. But for a second, let's let's go a little bit a different direction. You mentioned that you were married. You're not married anymore. Are you in a relationship right now? I think so. Okay. I know that's, okay. a, I, <laughs> that's a little amb- ambiguous. It's a, I, I'm going to say yes, but it's it's new and it's long distance. All right. So that's another to be, we're going to have to have part two of this because <laughs> okay. there's a few like open-ended things we're going to revisit in six months. So as somebody, well, let me, when you were working at the job you mentioned leaving, were you married at that time? I might have gotten married after 
that. Yeah, I I wasn't. I I was probably dating him or I knew him. So you've experienced being a, I'll put in air quotes, professional as someone who's dating, somebody who got married, somebody who's been divorced, and somebody who's been in a relationship. And, you know, you mentioned when in the beginning of the business and hiring the VA, like how you would sometimes run things by your husband at the time, even though maybe it was completely irrelevant. I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts as someone who has sort of experienced various levels of like relationships, like what that does for you as an entrepreneur, both good and bad? When I was married, fundamentally, I was going to say fundamentally was good, but I want to point out some of the things that weren't good about I pointed out like I deferred a lot. I, I didn't make my own decisions and that didn't happen for very long, but there was a certain amount of that. And then when I started to invest in myself at a higher level in terms of the mentorship that I was willing to invest in, and it was big, big money, not small money, it felt like it was family money that I was investing, even though, and to some degree it was, and he did not have the same risk tolerance that I had. And so that was a big conflict for a period of time. And it held me back from investing for at least six months, I didn't do something that I really wanted to do. And then I just did it without permission. And, and you know, here's the thing, 2020 hindsight, it worked out. At the time, I felt really, really about breaking that unspoken agreement that we run all sorts of big financial decisions past each other and get agreement and all that. I broke a trust 100% there in favor of my greater life, but I broke a trust. Now, pretty much I started like up leveling within the first month or two of that. And he was like game on. But the first, maybe the first three months, the first three weeks, I was in deep shame about that. Like I was like, ugh, what have I done? But then he was a hundred percent behind it because I started making bank and he was like, oh, this works, right? So- you feel like you had to prove to him that what you were doing was a good idea? Oh yeah, I, I used it for leverage. Okay, I used the investment that I made and that I was not going to not get a return on investment and I was not going to get divorced because of this, like as leverage to do the hard things. Okay, and maybe I would have done it anyway, but I I certainly was like, I'm I am not going to let him down. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to fail, which is a very masculine, like drive kind of essence thing. But that's exactly where I was at. So what's like the interesting juxtaposition of that now as a, you know, successful by your own definition, woman who's in a relationship? Like what is, what is that? (laughs) So I have dated men who are more successful than I am. And that's been fun, right? Like entrepreneurs who make more money than I do. And I've had that experience and, and that's not the only reason that I've dated them, but that's been uh, enlivening, right? To to have that experience. And right now I'm dating someone who dating, I can't, I think, I think I can say that. And he makes a fraction of what I make, you know? And it's challenging. Like I'm just getting the just the beginning insights into his his business. And I'm already like, okay, how do I navigate this? Because this is what I do for people. I, I like, I know how to fix his business. I've had one conversation about his business with him and I I know it's just what I do. Like I can see all I have to do is this, right? And yet you can't do that in any place without permission. But certainly in a romantic relationship, that's an issue. And 
you know, there's that adage at, about relationships don't fall in love with their potential, right? Like I have to recognize, okay, could I be with someone who makes a f- hard work and super smart, like great heart, meaningful work, high ethics, all of that's there. Check, 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 check. And it's a totally different lifestyle scale, I guess, right? Well, and I do wonder too if the theme of, you know, you define your definition of success, you define your definition of friendship, and we define our definition of, not definition, but we define the relationship that we want to be in. And so this will be a really interesting six months from now down the road, follow up. I mean, here's the thing that I do know, like I've been teaching a lot recently on the masculine and the feminine, right? Every human has both inside of them. I happen to like to be with very, like, men who have a lot of masculine leadership, who have that structure, that strength, and that presence. And he's got that overflowing, okay? And there's huge value in that to me as a female in business, because I'm I'm often in my masculine, though I try and work on integrating during the day. Like running a business, you have to be in your masculine. You're making decisions all the time. You're setting direction all the time. Like this is like all the that leadership stuff that is all masculine. Now we can we can have the conversations and integration and all of that that and that brings some feminine into it. Absolutely. But when I'm done for the day, I want to really be held in my feminine, right? And I I need someone who can hold that and you know, so that that's often in this day and age i think a lot of men have been taught to suppress that and to they lose that direction because they've been told you know you have to be equal partners and you have to you know defer and let women make all the decisions too and there's a trick to that like i'm i don't want to be bossed around by any means right or there's a give and take to everything yeah and there's something sexy about a guy who's made the plans and figured it out and picks you up and shows you a good time, right? And has worked out the details. It's like, oh, I don't have to work out all my details. I don't have to take care of every last thing myself. Oh my God. So speaking of sexy, that's just going to take me right on over to sex. I'll just share this to segue you right in. In the process of writing one of my books, the editor came back and was like, this is the best chapter you've written. And I was like, oh, all right, great. And she was like, what were we doing right before that? And I was like, oh yeah, might've had some <laughs> with my husband and I, got it, and I had to finish this for you so it would be on time. And she was like, you should do that more often. So my question for you is- Great advice, by the way. Yes, exactly. All writing, <laughs> better sex, write better writing. Everyone's good. In your thoughts, opinion, what role does sex play as an entrepreneur, as being an amazing entrepreneur, being an amazing leader? Or does it play anything at all? Oh, it absolutely does. Okay, so much to say on this. So fundamentally, the law of gender says that your masculine and your feminine are required to come together to create. So making babies, there's a masculine and a feminine sperm and egg that come together and create. That's like sexual energy is life force energy. It creates, okay, on a very biological level. It's creative energy. So that sexual energy that one has is creative life force. And if you take it and transmute it, perfect example, Lee, into your chapter, okay, (laughs) it creates, it's powerful, 
okay? It, it's additive. It gives you power. It taps you in to a greater life force that's out there. What tends to happen for people is that they have suppressed some aspect of their sexuality, either enjoying sex. I, I did not enjoy sex for many, many, many years. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. And I was suppressed. I, I, I was suppressed in how I moved. I was suppressed in how I shared my my sexual energy. You don't have to be a sex bomb. Like you just need to be tapped into your sexual energy because it is your your life force and and it's so important. And then each of us has that masculine and feminine essence inside of us. And so if we're suppressing one or the other, not letting them if you will have come together and have sex on the inside. I don't know. I've never said it that way. You're not tapping into one of the greatest powers in in this world. I keep talking about design and I keep saying it so I don't forget to ask you. But before we come to really, truly designing a life, can we go backwards, way back to little Amira growing up? As a little girl, what did she think she wanted to do as an adult? I don't know that I had a vision, to be honest. But I will tell you that I had a really smart ass moment that I'm happy to share with you. Growing up, both my parents were really highly involved in the ACLU of Southern California. And there was a garden party. They did these parties that were fundraisers, but like big deals. And I think my father might have been the president at the time or something. Like they were both really, really involved in kind of big wigs in in that world. I was standing next to my father and he was talking to Ramona Ripstein, who was the executive director. And I don't know how old I was. Then nine, young, 12, maybe 12 would have been too old, 10, but like somewhere in that age range. I was old enough to know the meaning of my words. Okay. And she looked at me as adults are apt to do when they look at children. What do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Was her question to me. And that kind of somewhat patronizing tone that adults have. I don't know what came over me, but I looked at her and I said, I want to marry a rich man. I think I said it just to piss off my father, right? Like, because he raised me as a feminist, right? He raised me like to be independent, to do math, to like be self-sufficient in a lot of ways, right? Or whether I was just irritated at the question and I wanted to say something shocking. I have no idea. But I thought about that. What was I, what was I thinking when I said that? And I think there's two things. I don't think it's necessarily like I want to marry a rich man. Like like that's my end all be all in this world. But I think relationships are very important to me. And there's something, oh, this was part of what I wanted to say about your one of your first questions that that like those moments of evolving that I, I missed, which is I think there's something about relationships that I'm here to teach romantic relationships that I'm here to teach. And that hasn't quite dropped in exactly what that is going to look like, but it feels very poignant. And you talk about role modeling. I feel like there's like a, a role modeling. So many of the women that I work with behind the scenes, no one knows them. I'm their trusted advisor. We do deep work on how to have lit up in relationships. So there's something in that. And and so maybe that's what that was about. I didn't like, I did not like being poor when I was growing up. I was, and by the way, I was not poor. I had a solid middle-class upbringing, but I happened to be in a part of the world where 
solid middle class felt like poor compared to the rich kids who got brand new cars for for their 16th birthday, right? Like that was just not the way I I grew up. I think I I always had something around relationships and money, but aside from that, it's an asinine thing to say, and I was probably just being a smart ass. Well, and it is such an interesting question because I think people just answer it. You know, I have I have small kids, and they sometimes answer it on their own, and they sometimes just answer it for whatever people want to say. But what I kind of love about the question is that like now I'm going to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up now? Well, it's still rich. That's interesting. But I think- How old are you? Today, I'm 52. Okay. So we're at 52. We still get to ask the question. Yeah. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. So my first, like I'm going with my intuition, like my, my, my gut response, if you will, was like the word rich came and it's like, but it's rich life, right? It's all about, to me, having a really rich life. And that is rich conversations, rich experiences, um, challenging myself, expansiveness. Notice there is no there there. There's there's it's about an experience. Well, that's the irony of the whole question, because what do you want to be when you grow up to a kid is like, let's prepare you to be the thing so that you can have a rich life, you know? Yeah. I love that it's always an evolution of what do you want to be when you grow up? All right. So you are like Little Miss. What? Who was the person that dropped the breadcrumbs? Hansel and Gretel? Wasn't that nursery? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. Whoever that is. Anyway, you're a little breadcrumb dropper. So a lot of times, you know, you've mentioned the word like stuck and blocks a couple of times. And I think a lot of times in our entrepreneurial journeys, we sort of focus on the block or the stuck. And there's always a story and it has lots of honor and lots of purpose. But I want to know, like, what's a moment from your childhood? And maybe it's the one you shared where you're like, damn, that really that really sort of started shaping who I am today in a in a way that doesn't create a block. The one thing that's coming to me is like, I went to a really good school. You know, like I learned how to think. Both my parents taught me critical thinking skills uh, that have served me really well. But really, I find that what's fascinating about that question, Lee, that's it's the most challenging question you've actually asked me. And I have to do my own work on this because I think I've done so much investigation into the wounds or the trauma or the triggers or the whatever that like I can name all of those things that were painful at the time, but like caused me to become the person that I am and I'm grateful for now, but like hard to work through, but much harder to go. What were the really super positive things that open, open some big doors? And sometimes they're not even like super positive or they didn't seem super positive at the time, but you're like, holy moly, I'm so glad, you know, that that was instilled in me. I just love thinking about that because sometimes the reverse is always the focus. So, yeah. well, good. All right. I love it. So number one, your emails that go out, I actually read. I get a lot of emails as we all do. And I think we don't read a lot of email blast. So anyway, anyone who is listening, go make sure you're on her list. But there have been two emails as of recent who that really, you know, kind of made me sit up and notice. And one used the phrase that you used a couple of times here 
And in the email, you were talking about like designing time, but you've talked about like designing a life, designing a business. So I would love your take on that word design. Like, what does that really mean? And what are the possibilities for people if you're actually sort of realizing what you can do with that? So fundamentally, the principle here is that we're all creators. Some of us don't live that way. Some of us live as victim to life, meaning at effect of life versus at cause, okay? So I take the law of cause and effect to mean something very particular, which means we are at cause. There's always a cause to the effect, always always a instigation to what creates the result. Now, sometimes that's a very tactical thing, like you make this call and you get this response, right? That That is on a very tactical level, but on a spiritual level, on a metaphysical level, on a personal growth level, you personally are at cause. And how you think and the decisions that you make are cause set in motion. So are your feelings, okay, are cause set in motion. So if we're creators, like by nature, and some of us have forgotten how to do that, but we are we are always creating, even the people who are sort of victims of circumstance, they're creating that. Like there, there's a creation there that's happening, okay? Let's not be a victim. Let's do it intentionally. Well, if you're doing it intentionally, you have to get clear and you have to understand what you desire first and foremost. So the beginning of life by design is like claiming those desires. And there's so many things that stop people from doing this all the belief structures, all the like, that's not for me, or the beliefs about like, if we're talking about money and earning money at a higher level, like rich people are greedy or right, like money doesn't grow on trees or it has to be hard or whatever. Like there's all sorts of belief structures that you have to let go of to to start claiming your desires. As women, I think we're taught often to suppress our desires. Like don't do this because you have to take care of other people or do other things for other people. And although I'm very much about contribution and like we live in a universe where we're, we we are with other people and it is about adding to life, it's not at the expense of your own desires. And I have a very strong position on that, that it's not either or. It's not like you win, someone else loses or they win and you lose. It's like, if we, what if we both won? Okay. Like, what would that look like? And so that's just a, like how to speak to that noise in your head. And, and then all of that is around like what keeps you from claiming the desire, but you have to, you have to own your desires. And one of the things that I teach my clients how to do, we have something called the creation playbook in our spirit of wealth program, where I take them through like how to, to look at each element in their life, each part of their life, and start claiming their desires. We look at career, we look at business, we look at finances, we look at uh, spirituality, we look at environment. A lot of people like look at the backdrop here and go, is that like one of those Zoom backdrops? No, that's my freaking house, right? Like, <laughs> but that's by design, okay? Like I got really clear that I didn't want, and I had for many years, the thrift store, Craigslist furniture. And I had a smile on my face and I made do with it, right? Like I wasn't going to complain, but I knew that I wanted something more for myself. And I had to claim that desire 
even before I felt like it was possible for me. Like I was still in the story of like, no, 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 this is just fine. Actually, I really freaking want this. And we do that in for relationships, the whole, whole, all the different areas of your life. And you get clear and then you have to figure out what the beliefs are and what the actions are and what the the habits are that you have to create in order to build that life. And then it is an iterative process. You don't just do it once. You do it again and again and again and again. It's not just for, you know, the person who was in your shoes who was making a massive change. Like sometimes it's just an up level where you are and just going to the next level within your current structure, it sounds like. Correct. And like, I just did that with my relationship, right? Like the, I called in this new relationship a little faster than I was expecting, but you know, I'll wear my master manifester hat. (laughs) But I got super, super clear. Now, sometimes getting super, super clear is like recognizing what you don't want. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you flip it around and, and go, well, if I don't want this, what do I want? And and I got super clear about what I what I wanted. I have one last question for you, I think. To use your words, if you could call anything in for other people, and I know that's not what we're doing, but we're just using those words for now. And you could just whoop, give it give it to people. What is the one thing that you truly desire for people to have? Oh, belief. So many people don't believe it, it's possible for them. Anything that they want, they just don't believe. So belief in what specifically? Belief in themselves, belief in the possibility that it can be made manifest, that belief that the world works in the way that it does, belief in the laws, right? I teach the laws and like that's so essential. Belief in, you could call it a higher power, infinite intelligence, the the 5D, the field, God, spirit, source, like whatever word you want to use for for that. There's there's faith that is in in thing that is non-tangible, that is an incredible power. And you 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 can't do it without that. It doesn't work. I haven't seen anyone really do it without that. Yeah, but mostly be- belief in themselves. You know, there's and and to me, like divinity is always running through you. So it's it's one and the same. It's not separate. I love that. That's a secret. Okay. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and super fun. I learned all kinds of things, even though I know you very well. So thank you for letting me do this with you. It was so much fun, Lee. You you might have a new position on the podcast because this was great. You asked great questions and it was like, uh, yeah, I loved it. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For everyone listening, that is a wrap. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a loyal listener. Please shoot us questions or write comments about anything that you are interested in learning more about. If you're looking for Lee, we'll put her contact information in the show notes. She's amazing. Run, don't walk. Okay, that's a wrap. Take care. Bye.